You're listening to Insert Quest here. Our interview with Alice should be up in just a second, but I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about our new game that I've released called Live, Love, Die, Remember. It's a game about a mech exploring the memories that it has of its love for their pilot right before the mech has to make a decision about their future together. It's up on Itch right now, uh, and you can find it by clicking the store uh, icon on our main website, insertquesthere.com. And I have created and published that uh, with Finn as part of the sad mech game jam or the emotional mecha uh, game jam on itch. So go check that out. It is currently on sale for 100% off. Although if you want to pay me for it, you can because you can choose your own price. Um, Thank you and I hope that you enjoy listening to this episode of Insert Quest here, where we talk with Alice about her game, Kiss Her Before the World Ends. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here. My pronouns today are he, him, and with me is Alice Grizzle, a game designer, streamer, and alleged candy thief. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for being on, uh, Alice. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, hi. Um, so yes, Candy Thief. Also, uh, I am a trans, uh, game designer, um, also Latinx. Uh, I made a game called Kiss Before the World Ends that released pretty recently. Um, I currently live in Seattle, which is snowing very hard. Uh, so yeah. Oh, she, her. Uh, cool. So... Yeah, Candy Thief is an interesting thing to have on one's Twitter profile. <laughs> so, one, just I really like candy. But two, when me and my girlfriend started going out, like, for the first few months, um, we she really liked Sour Patch Kids, if you know what those are. We and, have them here now. Oh, well, we there you go. Um, she bought several packs. Uh, I spent the night... Uh, I was going to leave and I saw that she had one left and I took it with me because I had the idea that I was going to like open it up and like stage them and be like, if you ever want to see your tiny candy children again, you'll follow my instructions sort of deal. I ended up eating them on the way home. But she messaged me later being like, you candy thief. And now, yeah. Look, I'm here for it. That's beautiful. Cute, cute gay stories. Yeah, indeed. I'm here. I'm all about it. Um, it's my brand. Look, fair. I mean, we love cute gay stories here. Uh, speaking of cute gay stories, I mean, your game kind of. I mean, I just. I haven't read it yet because I'm <laughs> waiting till uh, I've done the interview. Uh, but uh, I mean, I assume very gay. Yeah, so uh, someone at one point messaged me because it's called Kiss for the World Ends, being like, hey, is, or, or can you be like a guy and stuff in, in this game? Can you use like he and pronouns? I'm like, sure, use whatever pronouns you want. But also, I maybe forgot while writing it that guys are a thing people are into sometimes. And just 
my lesbian heart just went to town and was like, no, just forgot. It's not intended to be played that way. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with the game just being a bunch of girls making out. Um, like, it's, it's on brand for me, at least. Yeah, indeed. And I think that that is perfectly fine. Um, I, I want to come back to talking a lot more about the game in a minute, but I thought that... Oh, we're talking about brands. Um, I thought it might be good to talk about how you first got interested in role-playing games and then how you... When when you hit that tipping point and was like, I should make it. Sure. Uh, yeah, how, how, when did you first sort of get interested in role-playing games? So I had a neighbor that really liked D&D, um, and I spent a lot of time over at his house. Um, and at one point he got me into playing something called D&D Skirmish, which was, is like essentially, uh, D&D's tactical minis game. Um, and then that's sort of what spawned D&D 4E, which was my first role playing game. Um, and I didn't actually get to play it a ton. Like we played maybe three sessions. Um, but I made characters for it constantly to the point where eventually he just gave me his books. Um, and I just fell in love with role-playing games. Um, my first, like, stint, or, like, what started me wanting to design games is I made jokes about wanting a Dragon Age role-playing game, uh, for, for years, uh, because the one that exists isn't amazing, and it isn't focus on the thing about Dragon Age that I really liked. And I did that enough. Romance. Right. Uh, it's the romance bits, really. Um, and so, eventually, I was like, I, I just have to do this. I was talking to a, to a friend, and I was like, this is just the thing I have to, I have to do, like, two years ago. And, and so, it finally became an actual thing, rather than just being a thing I talked about wanting to do. And so you actually, did you actually make that game? Yeah, like that's, that's what Kisser is. That's what it started as. Oh, of course. Like, right. uh, it was just, um, so the, the start was Dragon Age at its heart is a game about trying to, to fix the world, save the world, while also doing it with people you care about and, and, and trying to find these relationships, uh, which is a thing I took and ran with for Kisser Before the World Ends, because it's about the same thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, it's interesting how games grow out of <laughs> weird places and things. Like, and and it, feels like, it feels like almost every game... I mean, I'm sure you can trace this back to the earliest games, probably, but, like, games seem less so a new idea springing from this empty void of, oh, what if I made that game? And more like, more and more, it feels like game, all games are just responses to other things. Like, what if, uh, what if, I mean, D&D is what if miniature wargaming was more individualist and also more about narrative. um, I so I would go as far to say that it's all media is a response, right? Like um, it's all 
anytime you watch or write something, you're you're channeling the things that influence you, right? Um, it's it's one of the reasons why touchstones are so important when creating a, a piece of fiction, especially tabletop games, because when you list your when when you have touchstones that you can hand to someone and be like, here, watch, read, listen to X. And it will help you better understand the thing I made. Uh, it's such a great thing to have happen. I think it applies to any form of media. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point, actually. Like, it's all just kind of those responses. That's just kind of wild that your game started out as... What if the Dragon Age RPG was more about the thing that most people love about Dragon Age? Because, like... Yeah, yeah, the combat in Dragon Age and the adventuring and stuff is kind of meh. It's like I mean, every other, every other game has that. Like, look, those games are my favorite games. I'll defend them, but I don't. I just want. I just want I, the smooching. A game, a game can be good and still be meh. Like, <laughs> fair enough. Many movies are also like that too. Like, um, lots of movies. I'm, I always really, more and more lately, I've been very refreshed when I find a movie that is not amazing not outstanding it doesn't bring anything new to the genre it's just good and well made sure there's an example recently of what i watched i was like it's like oh yeah that's just good well there's uh there's something to be said about just enjoying the technical proficiency of something regardless of whether or not like the actual quality put in like that's honestly you're able to say that about, about like lots of triple a titles and like I have negative interest in Red Dead Redemption 2. However, as like a technical piece, very impressive. Mm, yeah, there's lots of um we actually I actually just played the Anthem demo this weekend. Yeah. Then this morning have been playing um playing Apex Legends. I saw that. I have not played it yet. I did see it's a thing. And, and very different games, but um but and and not even trying to be alike either. But uh, it was just interesting going from playing the Anthem demo, which was very much, I was very disappointed in, and I wasn't even that hyped for the game, but I got into it and I'm like, this is a big expensive studio. You have access to all of these resources and you made such a poor demo. I don't know how the eventual game is going to turn out, but such a poor demo. And like, if it, if that had, if Anthem had been from an indie studio, it would have just been like, okay, this is like super impressive looking, but it's not very much of a good game, but whatever you're an indie studio. I'm sure you did your best. Uh, see, like I don't know. It's studio. I'm just like, this is fucking garbage. See, I quite enjoyed the demo when it worked. Really? Okay. Um, it didn't like, really work for us when we were playing it. See, like, uh, technical bugs and stuff like that in terms of demos and betas, I tend to put aside unless I'm actively QAing the thing because it's a, it's, it's a, a thing you can't judge the product on yet, or at least I don't think you should. Um, when, but like the actual gameplay and such, uh, I, I, I quite enjoyed, uh, especially like being able to go from standing to flying to swimming, like sw- seamlessly like that, that, I mean, when the gameplay worked, it felt good, but our main problem was that getting to gameplay was really... Oh, yeah, like I said, like... And, like, I don't know, to a certain degree, (laughs) fair point, like, it's, it's, it's on launch, it's buggy, that happens, but also, by the same token, they could have taken more time with it, and just not... 
But that's the sort of the point of uh, beta, right? It's to release it and let people be like, hi, this oh, is probably going to be buggy. That's a fair point. I didn't play the beta. I played the quote-unquote demo free weekend. So I think my expectations were slightly different. Like, I sure. demo to be demoing what the finished game will be. A beta is slightly different situation. Yeah, uh, seeing as how the, the, the actual beta was like a week before that, I, I pretty much just took it as an extended beta. Yeah, that's a fair point. I yeah, maybe my expectation. It is, and then yeah, my main point in relation to uh, Apex Legends was that it was just like <laughs> got into that this morning and everything was smooth. Oh, that was the other thing about Anthem that I thought was more relevant than like gameplay glitches and things. The menus were awful. Uh, really yeah, awful. no, like I, I I stand by that. There are very few good UI artists in games at the moment. Fair. Uh, so. Uh, uh, and I guess, uh, yeah, that's, it's an interesting, uh, interesting, uh, thought of like how games and things can feel and how, uh, and what we, what we might expect from, uh, different studios and like, you know, what we expect to expect, to expect out of, uh, a big AAA studio. Like I expect a more polished product even in demo from them ah uh, uh, see i i'm a bioware fan and i'm aware that nothing they release on like on nothing on release will be polished it's just not gonna happen um totally fair. it's i don't know i have a very big soft spot for that studio so i might be cutting them more slack than some people might yeah i don't um, really have a lot of nostalgia tied up in any game studio i think they're the only one for me but there's there's a lot tied up there. Um, like I said, they were they were the birthplace of uh, Kiss Her. Uh, I have uh, a lot of very strong memories attached to a lot of their titles. So yeah, cool. How much of other? How much other uh, influence? How much more influence of uh, Bioware's? Uh, work do you think has worked itself into your games going forward? I mean, I'm unsure. So the only like game I've released has uh, definitely been influenced by both Mass Effect and Drag. So I guess really um, part of why Kisser is the way it is is I have it set up where uh, you have something, you have a scenario that I've pre-written, and people can make their own and stuff. But I'm going. I have one that released with the game, which is a sci-fi themed scenario. Um, and I'm going to release more, but the whole reason that started is because while creating that game, I wanted, uh, for the purposes of Kiss Before the World Ends, Mass Effect and Dragon Age are the same game in different places. Mm -hmm. Um, they are about the exact same thing. Uh, and that setting changed. That statement about those two game franchises as well. Um... And that that was interesting to me because I want I wanted people to be able to engage in the like same sort of story wherever they wanted, uh, and for the purposes of like first release, I only needed one scenario. But I'm like planning on writing like a fantasy one, and like a modern day one, um, things like that. Um, because really, just uh, the only differences there are setting and like the scale of what the world ending means, right? Yeah. Like in Dragon Age, it's this planet, uh, these this like these alternate realities almost, and then in Mass Effect, it's the whole galaxy. 
And then in a modern one, it might be the record store you both work in. So, yeah, there's uh, the... With with the modern one, current ideas are things like... Um, uh, I was talking to John Harper at one point, and he pitched. He really wants me to make one about uh, a submarine that's sinking, um, and and things like. Um, or you're just like uh, you, you like you're be like you're being deported or something, right? Like it's your world is ending. Whatever your world means. Yeah, wow, that's wild. So. I think maybe now might be a good time to sort of transition into telling more about what the actual game is. You know, sure. Where it came from in that response. But what uh, what does play look like? So where do we begin? So uh, Kisser Before the World Ends is uh, set up where it's kind of meant to just be read as you play it. Like I almost wrote it a little bit like instructions. Like you kind of just go from one part to another. Um, it's set up into acts, uh, how, um, first off you'd pick your, the scenario, uh, and this one, the, the, the current scenario right now is Estrella's breath. Uh, you're, you're on like a research, uh, a research vessel. Um, so you pick characters, um, and each character comes with, uh, needs. These needs are these like things that they want to resolve either because they were unable to do so in their past and it's gnawing at them or because uh, they're just things that will help them cope with this inevitable situation they find themselves in or just because it'll make them happy and that's all they want right now. Um, And then there's these different types of needs, uh, intimacy needs, validation needs, uh, empathy needs, and um, intimacy needs. Uh, they're all different ways of contextualizing what it is we as people need out of our relationships. Um, and so you, you, everyone starts the game with four of them. Um, and when play starts, uh, one person would, would uh, pick a location that they want their scene to take place in. They'd p- invite another person to participate in the scene with them or multiple people. Um, and then when they interact for the first time, a timer would start because the real world is ending. You are, you are in a hopeless situation. Uh, and so no scene can go past that timer. Uh, and like the entire goal of the game is trying to resolve these needs you have under time constraints. Uh, while like you're, you're trying to meet the end without having any regrets or at least as few regrets as you can have given the situation you're in. Right. And how many, What's the timer on the end of the game rather than the end? Uh, of the so, uh, so everyone, uh, assuming there are four players, because you could theoretically play it with less. Um, assuming there are four players, first act has uh, everyone has a four minute scene, and then so you know, uh, next act everyone has a five minute scene. Next act, everyone has a three-minute scene because the the time's different because um, in the first act, it's everyone getting to know each other. Really, um, it's the you're you're in that current situation, um, and the second act are flashbacks. You get to learn more about your characters, why they're in the situation, so you have more time. Um, and so uh, that's five minutes because it, there's like I said, there are memories, not like um, 
reenactments, if that makes sense, right? When the timer goes off, they're being pulled out of that memory, like the real world's catching up to them. Um, and then the next one, the scene, uh, the next one the, is um, something called an assessment phase, where you you assess the needs you've addressed or haven't addressed, and you can change them as you want. Um, that's not timed. Um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, four minutes, five minutes, assessment phase, three minutes, scene each, and then final moments, which are not timed. Um, I'd say the game lasts around three and a half to four hours, probably under four hours, though. Oh, wow. It's longer than I expected. I also, again, I, I did mention that I had chosen not to read it before the interview. Sure. Um old. But I had thought that it was a two-person RPG. Uh, cut it in half. You could play it with two people. Um, cut that time in half, then. So it's interesting to hear, though, that it's like that. It's like a it's with it's with four people. It's like three to four hours. Um, it's not bad. I think that's cool. I just it was not what I was expecting, which is sure. I was uh, surprised in that way. So there's the a part of the reason there is because. Um, I wanted to make a game not only about romance, but relationships in general. Um, it, it's called Kiss It Before the World Ends, but it's, that's only one part of it, I guess. Um, the game itself isn't just about what we want out of romantic partners or anything like that. It's about what we want out of our friendships, out of the people we choose to keep around us. Uh, what we need from them, what they need from us, how we negotiate getting those things. Um, yeah. Uh, it's also, I tried very hard when making the game to my, one of my main design goals was giving people the tools to have any sort of relationship in their, in the game that they would have in, that they have in their own lives. Right. Um, so you can, you can pursue like different types of relationships with different people. Um, things like that. I, um, Something that I really like in games, and I was actually just thinking about this then as we were talking about like the scenes and things. Uh, something that I really like is strange starting mechanics, in particular how to decide who goes first. Um, uh, how before I, I, I was thinking of giving an example just now, but I'd rather just jump straight into how do you does your game have anything prescriptive about who amongst the playgroup should do their, the first scene? Uh, I wrote it so that the the first person written in the play, uh, the preset, the pregen, they go first. Uh, simply because it seemed the the most straightforward way, um, and I didn't want it to take up too much word count because it's a small game, um, and word count's important. So how I have it set up is the first person listed in the pregen goes first. They choose the first location. However. Uh, the, how I've set up the game is that the, that, that the, the lead player picks the location and invites another person to join them in a scene. However, the person they invite is the person that actually sets the opening situation to the first scene. Uh, so you are, you can only control where you, like whenever you are the person in, uh, like at the start, uh, you can only control what where the scene is happening and who you want to be involved at first, but you don't actually have any control over what is actually happening from the start. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Fiasco's um, resolve or establish. Yeah, uh, there's a little fiascoiness in there. Yeah, no, totally fair. Uh, something <laughs> that is um, 
something that we talk about a lot on the show, both in interviews and in um, other little things that we do and on quest markers as well, uh, is we often talk about how, or I, more particularly I, talk about how important it is to draw knowledge from many sources. (laughs) Sure. That means drawing knowledges from different sources within your industry and within your field and within thing that you're trying to do, but also drawing knowledge from elsewhere. If there is a, if there's one thing I am familiar with at the moment is drawing strength from other other resources. Uh, this game would not have happened uh, without all of the people behind me. Um, John Harper is like John Harper stayed up with me till 4 a.m. talking about this game. Sometimes he did the layout and the art for it. Like this game would not have happened. Otherwise all the people that play tested it, uh, that listened, like all my friends that listened, Meg Baker read like eight different versions of that game. Um, like I have some really talented, amazing people that saw a, game I wanted to make and believed in it even when I didn't and helped me get it here. Oh, that's kind of a beautiful sentiment, isn't it? And I guess in a way that kind of like reflects, I mean, it actually, I feel like that kind of reflects a little bit of what your game is too. I don't know. Like, is it, does that not feel like that is also what your game is about? No, like I, I definitely see what you mean. Like, uh, there's, um, like those Bioware um, games that you're talking about drawing expression from, those are about like, people standing with you and uh, helping you all, like it, it's described as I mean, you look at Mass Effect in particular it's, like it's described as Shepard saving the galaxy but it's not Shepard saving the galaxy it's <laughs> Shepard collecting a bunch of people who then <laughs> save the galaxy For sure uh, I don't think anyone stands alone whenever they do something uh, you always are, uh, you're a combination of the people that touch your life, just like you're a combination of the media you consume, right? Um, you are, uh, really, I guess, just to hone that down, you are a culmination of your experiences and those are many. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, there's very little that you, that we as people can say we've done that are, is like just us. And we're the only thing that's influencing it, if that makes sense. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I talk about a lot um, how the only real evolutionary advantage that human beings have, a, have compared to all other creatures is our incredible ability to communicate even beyond the ways other animals can communicate. Like, it's the one yeah. thing we do better than anyone else. And a part of that communication, like tool use, birds have tool use. <laughs> um, chimpanzees make spears and go hunting. Um, but human beings make books and video recordings and create art and human beings talk to one another and we can, we can share knowledge across generations in a way that, I mean, other species do this too, but again, in a way that no one else can. And like, it's very much speaks to your point of the way, the fact that you're always doing something with the help of someone else. You're always calling on someone else's, what someone else has shown you or taught you. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's really important to like talk about all the people that lift you up. Right. Like there's, because we all, none of us stand alone. It's, uh, disconcerting when people say that they that they are when they when they forget the people behind them right like uh 
yeah, it's it's definitely a sad thing, I think. Indeed. No, I, I get that. But, I mean, there's also... There's that beauty to be had by celebrating that thing. Celebrating the fact that we do, in fact, stand together. Humbly. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that there's the potential for uh, more scenarios and things like that. Has yeah. Anyone, has anyone, like, told you of one that they're making? Or have you had anyone, like, say, oh, here's a scenario? Have you seen any, like... Uh, no, I don't think other than, like, the ones I've talked to John about, anyone's, like, pitched me one, uh, other than I think someone was, someone compared my game to the Miracle Mile, the movie, uh, and then it was just, like, that would, you could probably, like, that could just be one, um, I don't think anyone has talked to me about, like, them creating a preset yet. I'm I'm looking forward to that. John, so John at one point told me uh, that whenever you release a game, it'll probably take a good while before you actually start hearing stories of people play it because, you know, it has to get through people's backlogs and things like that. Um, and so, like, I haven't... I have been avoiding, like, trying to, like, poke at people, being like, hey, have you gotten the chance to play it yet? Or things like that. Like, I'm I'm... I know that uh, a friend of mine started a game of it, and and I haven't heard back about how it went yet. But I'm I'm looking forward to it with bated breath. I am familiar with that experience. Um, I made a game, and I own. I made a game that was released in, I think October last year, and I only played it like two weeks ago for the first time. <laughs> yep. I, I think John said it takes about a year typically to start hearing about back about like people playing a game you've released. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for when people start doing that. Um, I actually, at one point, a friend of mine mentioned thinking about hacking it to tell comedies rather than tragedies. Huh. Uh, because it's the, the pitch for the game is the same regardless of which genre. Uh, a game about relationships at the end of the world could just as easily be a comedy. That's true. Uh, you, there are many movies uh, about that. You just have different prompts, I suppose. Yeah, well, it's just... Uh, y- yeah, it's you change... Um, you want different things out of those relationships, right? Uh, there's... Um, Right. Uh, so uh, the the four needs in my game: escapism, uh, validation, uh, intimacy, and empathy. Uh, those four things might change. Right. Uh, the the intimacy one might not be as important, but like escapism, that works just as well. Um, it's when when hacking a game, especially if you're just changing genre, it's just all about knowing where you can what what things need tweaking right because you don't necessarily need to strip out the whole system yeah no that's a fair call um i often uh i i have increasingly had recently things happen where on the topic of like changing games across um genres and things like that i've had situations recently where i've come up with a game i've started working on it and then like a new game has come out that has an a mechanical underpinning that I'm like, oh dang, that might, <laughs> I can see how that I'm gonna. People are gonna be telling me my game should run on this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um. I. I mean. Uh. I there's with uh, Dream Askew and also uh, Blades of the Dark. 
Yeah, yeah. Dream of Dreamscape, I feel. Also Blades in the Dark there. But like Blades in the Dark started as an AW hack. So so like, you know, I, I'm a firm believer of take a thing and you could start and like you you could start writing that that hack and then maybe that hack transforms into something else as you go. Yeah. I've uh I have um when I've encountered those situations, it has been helpful to say uh to be like, okay. <laughs> Why do I not want it to be that game? And are those reasons that I don't want it to be this ga- that game valid? And why, what are the things that that game does that would be bad in mine? Yeah. What, uh, what about that game makes it... So there are many, many games that share the same pitch or same like uh, setting or things like that. Um, it's just all about knowing what is that game trying to do and what your game is trying to do and where those games overlap and where they don't, what makes them, what makes your game a different game? Yeah. And like, there's an, there's an element to that of it's like one's designed by you and one isn't, but there's also like more concrete ideas of like, my game is faster to play than this game. Sure. Uh, my game requires the players to not have as much... Um, uh, the players don't need as much mechanical knowledge or whatever. Or my game is GM-less, whereas that one is not. Yeah. Uh, God, that's always... Those are, like... Redesigning a thing just with the accessibility in mind is, is really interesting. Um, because, so one of the, like, when... Uh, for Kiss for the World Ends, it's formatted mostly for mobile viewing. Interesting. Uh, because it shouldn't be a book. It's like t- a page, a page and a half, not including the scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but the game itself is meant, to, I, I wrote it to play at like conventions or to be able to be played at conventions rather. And uh, like a PDF seemed needless. Um, or at least like a full PDF. Uh, so yeah, it's formatted mostly with mobile viewing in mind. Also because uh, if you're because it uses a timer, uh, like yeah. most most of the time, you're like the timer is also going to be served by your phone too. So like you kind of just have the entire thing right there. Yeah, that makes sense. That's actually a very good point of like how are people going to be using your game and what's the platform you need? Oh yeah, like I don't I think. I think people don't think enough about like how people interface with what they're with, with their games. Um, it's books are so often default um, that I, I, I think it's a disservice. It's one of the very, it's one of the many reasons I'm excited for like wolf spell and stuff that's coming out on a goddamn vinyl cover. Um, wow. Like, like, an, like album vinyl. Yes. Like an actual album jacket. Right. It's amazing. And then I'm uh, writing a game at the moment that is um, that is formatted uh, like a zine because one of the central um, game components is a uh, needs to be about a uh, needs to be poster sized. <laughs> sure. So I'm looking at. Uh, it basically that has a play field for lack of a better word. Sure. So, uh, that is a format that I'm looking at. I need to have one side of this paper be the play field and then the other side needs to has all the rules on it and then it needs to fold up in such a way that you can read it like a book. Sure. 
I mean, yeah, like thinking about how people interact with your game is really important. Because at one point, the kisser was going to be formatted for like a pamphlet, which it might still be, right? Whenever we get around to doing like a physical release or something, like a pamphlet or like a scout book. Yeah. But uh, there's there's a lot of really interesting things you can do with with how people interact with your game. Yeah, that sort of stuff like is I would I would argue that that sort of thing is like the thing I'm most. Uh... I would say that that is the kind of stuff that I find most unique in my own design. Like I just wrote a game that fits. Um, and so uh, I'm always looking at how can we format a game so that it's an interesting thing to connect with. Sure. What, and also like player aids and things and stuff that's really important to me. Like how can I present when you're at the, what, is, what part of this book are you going to need uh, when you're sitting at the table? Like you don't need to have explanations of all of this other stuff that gives you a concept of how the game is meant to work. Once you've actually got that information, that information is not going to be needed. Need to be read over and over and over again. Sure. What are you going to need to read over and over again? And what is going to help you make decisions faster? Oh shit. Yeah. A big, huge pool of names for you to draw from. Cause <laughs> yeah. Well, we need a big list of emotional states for you to pull from <laughs> um, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, some kind of armory card that you can write down gear that you collect. Uh, and, yeah, player aids are... I fucking love player aids. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I they're, they're people being able to, to anticipate player needs is very important. Um. I thought it might be interesting. I normally like to ask people this is what do you have in line for the future? So obviously you've talked about planning to write more uh, scenarios for uh, Kiss of Before the World Ends. Um, but what yes. are, are, is there any other projects in the future that you'd like to talk about? Uh, so immediately right now, I'm going to be focusing on teaching myself layout. First and first of all, because I can't always get John to do that for me. Um, but uh, after that, there's a there's a bunch of games I want to work on. Uh, none are in like any sort of fleshed out places. They're all pretty much just pitches because that's the only way I know how to think about something is uh, what's its elevator pitch. Um, so like I have a bunch of games in terms of that, but like nothing nothing beyond beyond those um i like i'm toying with the idea of a game about uh, a, a card game about sending a lover secret messages via flowers um oh, that's cool. i have uh like yeah there's just there's just a bunch of random stuff like that that's just i haven't decided i haven't decided what i want to pursue yet so i've just sort of been mulling on all of them uh what uh, I actually was just thinking about this just now. Um, something that I've never really talked about on the show before, actually, is, uh, and I think we might be in a similar situation with this, um, in terms of uh, something that I had to think about a lot when I released my game last year, was what I wanted to sell it for and how I was going to sell it. So I went with sure. Itch, because there's ways to control stuff there, and also it would allow me to release lots of weird games forward. Sure. Um, and so I ended up making the the kind of print at home version of my game <laughs> a uh, the original print files that I sent that we sent to the um, to the printer to get the business card versions 
so that people could make their own business card size versions. A new home printer-friendly um, layout where it was just multiples of the cards on an A4 sheet um, in black and white. And then a sort of single-page document that expands and goes into a little bit more depth about safety tool, um, explaining what a safe word is, for example, <laughs> play my game and have never heard of one. Um, mm-hmm. And so I ended up settling on a pay what you want model with the suggested price of $10. So like when you go yeah, to the door, so... that grayed out box and it's got 10 written in there. Uh, how did you, what did you, what was some of your process for solving that problem? So my original idea was, fuck, I just want to release it free. I just want, I just want people to be able to play it. I don't care. But I don't have a job at the moment, right? Like the, like, so that is unrealistic. Uh, also, I think Meg and John and Strash all would have slapped me if I had done that. Um, so what I ended up doing is asking a bunch of people that have released games and be like, what do you think this game is worth realistically? Like, I know you all know how much work I've put into it and things like that, but from like, what do you think I should sell it for? And they pretty much all agreed that $10 was, I had, I had a $10 game. So I, what I did was I, I just put it on it for $10 flat, but I did the same thing that DC did when they released mutants, uh, mutants in the night is people could donate copies uh, if you want to buy an additional copy because you have some disposable income and want someone to be able to play this game that doesn't, uh, send me a copy. I will find someone or someone will find me that wants to play it and I will give it to them. And that's, so that's, the, that's what I ended up going with, mostly because the pay what you want model, I saw like after trying to put it in, it seemed like, uh, or rather um, not pay what you want, but I had a... Uh, I tried giving it like a $5 minimum price and a $10 uh, suggested price. And it kept showing people the $5 one rather than the $10 one. And then being able to like tell them that they can also pay five, which seemed the opposite of what I wanted, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I ended up going about it. Yeah. I, I went with pay what you want because of um, I didn't want to uh, have I didn't really want to have any control over. I, th- I saw the donating things, and I didn't want to have any sort of. I didn't want to have a situation where people had to like ask for sure. uh, a copy. I wanted it to be like here it is for free, uh, and, and like I, I think the donation thing is cool, but it's also like it's another thing that I have to manage. Whereas to be I fair, to manage donated copies. To be fair, I have 100%. Uh, there were like there were more people that donated copies than people that asked for them. But I saw a bunch of people being like that just didn't see the notification or something that were just like, "Wow, I really want this. I, I hope I can get it soon." And things like that. Like I gave out a bunch of copies to people that just expressed interest because I had them and I want people to play my game. Yeah. Like That's cool. I'm still searching for one person that commented on my itch on the itch page being like, wow, I really want to play this. And I can't message them through itch as far as I know. But like I was, I went through searching through Twitter earlier, trying to find this person so I could give them my game. Oh, wow. That's dedication though. Um, I just, I want people to play it. Did you want to give a shout out to the username? Oh God. I don't, you don't have let to. me, I don't, uh, which, which is it? 
let me grab bump bump bum. Yeah, uh, Asteris. There you go, Asteris. If you're listening to this and you were the person that commented, "Hey, I need to, I really want to play this game." I mean, get it, Alice. Uh, she has a free copy that she would like. To <laughs> um, yeah, that's so cool. I really, I really, I, I think I see. We see uh, more indie creators and emerging creators um, struggling with this uh, quandary. Um, and for me, I mean, for lots of people, it's the thing of I just, I really want people to be able to play the game. For me, that's not even a quandary. It's like I live in a capitalist system, but also. <laughs> hate the capitalist system but I still have to survive so how uh, can I how can I find that middle place right? It's also just unfortunately what we're doing is making a product. It's a thing that we have to accept at the moment um, and I find a lot of times if you're selling something because it's what you're doing, even if you're giving it away for free or like a dollar People is going to if you undervalue your work, people are going to undervalue of uh, undervalue it too, or just yeah. flat out undervalue you. Um, that's why I set the suggested price for um my game for Arosha at um at ten dollars. Yeah, like it's a suggested price. They can change it. <laughs> uh, it's like yeah, yeah, it's a single sheet of paper with uh with uh, some different formats for business cards. Uh, I... Give me ten dollars. If you've made a full game, I, I do not think you should ever charge under five, 10, like ever, for any reason. Yeah. Um, unless, of like, aside from like uh, accessibility stuff, and then there are other ways to do that. But like, suggested price, yeah, 10 is, I don't think you anyone should go lower ever. Um, people should value their work. Indeed, no, I definitely agree with that. And it's, um, it's a thing... It's a thing that we have a we're sort of confronting at the moment in um, RPG design spaces and things like that. But it's also it's wild to me that uh, digital artists and commission artists and things like that and uh, traditional artists and all that sort of stuff in the modern day feel almost like they're I feel almost like they're further behind in this field than we are. But that's because the cultural pressures on them are more. Uh, uh, I guess stronger in a way. Like people have come to expect being able to get commission art done <laughs> for a frankly unreasonably low price. Yeah. Um, uh, we had a discussion about this recently for uh, for a convention that I'm helping organize, and I was uh, we were talking about briefly about artist alleys and commissions, and I was like, I was, and then we started talking about how artists undervaluing their own work mm. undervalues everyone's work yep yeah. and how kind of has a have a responsibility as a member of a community to charge more so that you normalize this you don't inadvertently normalize the undercharging right and how that's hard yeah to like it's hard to tell that to like a young artist right to be like no there's charge more because like but i'm not gonna people are gonna buy it then it's like yeah but like you're you're not getting the price isn't what's going to prevent people from buying it if someone's going to buy it uh it like charging yeah no i totally agree it's important to get paid it's also important to get paid fairly um yeah it's a wild thing um, but it has been so wonderful to get the opportunity <laughs> to talk to you. 
Um, yeah, it's been really, really nice. Thank you for having me. Taken paths that I did not expect. <laughs> always fantastic. We spent a weird amount of time talking about anthem um, <laughs> and menus. Um, but yes, thank you for uh, for coming on and talking to us about. It's my pleasure. World ends. Um, if people want to find out more from uh, you and follow more of your games and stuff and also check out your Twitch streams, uh, how can they do right. that stuff? Where can they find out more about you and where can they get uh, So uh, Twitch is just Tafkat, T-A-F-K-A-T, capital T, capital K. Um, Twitter, same thing, just with an underscore at the end. Uh, if you want to buy my game, it's on itch.io. Uh, yeah, just search Kiss It Before the World Ends, you shall find it. Fantastic. And we'll have links to Twitter and uh, Itch and uh, Twitch account, uh, channel uh, down below as well um, so that you can find all that out uh, over on the main site, insertquesthere.com, which is the main place where we post all of our new uh, episodes uh, every Monday. Uh, if you want to hear more interviews, you can click the interview tag or the interview category on uh, the main website. If you want to listen to some let's play, some actual plays rather, of um, our own games, uh, including uh, upcoming release from Lockdown, uh, you can check that out um, on the main site as well by going to actual plays. Or just going to the front page. There'll definitely be one there. Uh, and you can also check us out on all of the social media, Facebook, Twitter, um, B+, unless it's after April 2nd, 2019. <laughs> um, and, uh, and Patreon uh, as well. Uh, but for now, thank you so much, Alice, for being on. It's my pleasure. Uh, and thank you all for listening. Uh, farewell from the past. I'm Ray. <laughs>